If you're a cannabis business owner looking to expand into new markets and need guidance and support you can trust, consider Collateral Base, a group that has done it before in multiple merit-based and limited market states. Collateral Base was founded by an experienced cannabis attorney with highly educated consultants with master's degrees and years of experience in the cannabis industry. The Collateral Base team is confident they know cannabis licensing better than any of their peers. And I encourage you to see for yourself. It just takes one phone call. If you're ready to expand your cannabis business into new limited markets, contact Collateral Base today at 309-306-1095. That's 309-306-1095. Or visit collateralbase.com. Everything is personal right here. Everything is personal right here. Everything is personal right here. And on the NA, heat guaranteed when you press in the play. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to another episode of Everything is Personal. Today, I am blessed to have an amazing guest, uh, Mr. Mark England. Welcome. Thank you, man. Thank you for having me on. So I've been uh, reading a lot about your bio. It's super, super interesting. You know, I get on these programs sometimes and uh, they break out the the bio and they start reading, uh, you're this, you're that. I mean, it's kind of boring to the audience. So I kind of wanted to ask, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, Happy, happy to, I'll talk a little bit about me. I'm I'm a teacher, Len, Uh, teacher to the core. Um, uh, I'm a student, so that's that's really good. When you're a teacher, I'm a student. I love to learn. I hate to study, but I love to learn. <laughs> and and that goes both ways too. Uh, you know, the, the best teachers are are also students, which I will always be. I've been a student of the 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 language game, as we refer to it. How our language influences us for better and for worse. Uh, for 17 years, I fell in love on site uh, when I when I first saw it, 2003. Um, I moved overseas, a little bit about me. Um, I moved overseas to Thailand in 2002 because I thought I was a tough guy, man. I, I did. I was, uh, I wrestled in high school and got into jujitsu and MMA in college and, and fought. And, um, the plan was move over to, to Thailand for a year, train, come back, go pro. That didn't happen. I moved over there and my knee fell off <laughs> for the second time six months in. And, mm. and that whole story and my identity as a fighter died. And it was a painful ego death, man. It really was. Darkness descended. I didn't laugh for a year. Uh, and then I got tired of that and, and started looking for, well, uh, one specific moment hit me. No pun intended. When I looked down the path after not laughing for a year, and I said, "Dude, I was 27. Buddy, are you going to be complaining about this when you're 55?" And I saw that version of me 
Uh, and I was like, dude, then you really will be a loser. Cause that was my, my biggest fear, which is not an uncommon fear at all. It's the telephobia, the fear of not being good enough. I was afraid I was a loser. I was afraid I wasn't good enough. I was afraid I was doomed to fail. And there was something wrong with me. And, um, and, and, and that fail of having that surgery, the fight came in, that was the evidence. That was all the evidence I needed at the time. It was proof that I, I was, that I was those things. Where do you think that fear? Where do you think that fear comes from? I, I don't mean to stop on what you were saying, but I'm just curious because you know, for me personally, uh, my thing was uh, my parents, my especially my dad. Uh, it was always not good enough. So I, no matter what, it was always this kind of insecurity that I go into in any room, and I'm like, oh, these people have initials in the back of their name and all this stuff. Uh, am I good enough? And it took a lot of self-work and it's still a kind of work in progress, but where do you think it came from? Some of it's inherited. Mm-hmm. We inherit, we inherit our language. It's a strange mm-hmm. thing to talk about when we talk about inheritance. We, we inherit this, uh, well, it's a tool. Language is a tool. Mm-hmm. This way of telling ourselves a story about ourselves and the world mm-hmm. we live in. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we inherit that tool. We also inherit some of the, the, uh, the weight for better and for worse. It goes both ways, usually a mixed bag of the stories that our parents create for themselves, the, the emotional um, uh, patterning, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And as with any tool, it's, most tools are a lot more fun to use when you know how to use them. Mm-hmm. And this, this, a lot of this will take out a lot, put in all, all of this conversation when I say this conversation, I mean the conversation about, again, how our language influences us for better and for worse, mm-hmm. comes down to education. I have a degree in education. I was brought up in the public school system. And on neither side of that fence, being educated in the public school system and learning how to uh, enforce it. Um, I didn't have one course, class, or conversation land on how my language influenced how I see myself in my imagination how I feel about myself and my feelings and emotions, and absolutely nothing about how my language influences how well I breathe. And those are very uh, consistent parts of our experience of ourselves. Most people's education about their language comes down to spelling, grammar, and definitions, and there's a whole lot more of that conversation than that. Where did you grow up? Richmond, Virginia. Virginia boy, born and raised. Got it. Okay. And uh, how, was your upbringing, did you have like uh, both parents, uh, divorced parents, siblings? Yep. Both parents. Um, Silver Spoon. Okay. Uh, my dad, in 1980, he created, uh, he started Lucky Convenience Stores. Mm-hmm. And at the height of Lucky, he, he ran those for 42 years. At the height, he had 12, 13 stores in and around the Richmond area. Mm-hmm. Um, and self-made man. He came from very, uh, very humble beginnings in the coal mining region of Virginia. He was a, he was a, he was a good, good athlete. That's what got him out. Otherwise he was going to factories in, in Ohio or, or Indiana, something along those lines. Um, yeah, man, I, I had both my parents and I had a, I had a, I had a, a great childhood. I really did. Um, it was one of the, it was, we were in the last phase of the go out the door with our BB guns um, and don't come back for dinner or come back. Don't come back until dinner. Until dinner. Yeah. Yeah. Bicycle. And we just go into the woods, go to the lake, 
whatever. And, and it was, it was, it was still that. Yeah. I, I grew up, but I mean, no silver spoon, none of that, but the, the whole BB gun thing, it just brings up so many memories because uh, we did the same thing up in the fields. We ride our bikes. My, our parents never knew where we were, come back from school, their work and we ride over our bikes and we have these BB guns. And when we first got them, we didn't realize that you can pump them up a lot. We, you just put the BB in and you, sh- so we started shooting each other and uh you know, and then my friend got shot in the eye or by the by his eye. And thank God we did not know. And then one of us finally figured out, wait, if I do this, I can actually make the BB stick in the tree. And that's when it became dangerous. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I still have a scar in my uh, in my leg where <laughs> my buddy, <laughs> we were sitting on the couch and he decided to, uh, at close range, uh, shoot one right in, in my leg. So <laughs> I PTSD from that. <laughs> Dude, that is such a a, a a not uncommon story, and I own one of those stories as well. Both ends delivering the BB and also right. having one that you know placed into my skin. It's a lot of fun. So fighting and and wrestling. I'm just you know you said your dad was a good athlete and all that stuff. Is there a reason why you feel that you made a choice to be more of in the combat type of a physical uh, sport? Not that all sports aren't physical, but having this, uh, you know, one-on-one combat type of sport? Um, nature and nurture. Nature, uh, <laughs> we've got, there's there's something in the England family line. There's a real mean streak there. Mm-hmm. And I had that growing up. I still have that. It's under control now. And, um, and I... I I also was naturally, uh, I naturally gravitated to things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Um, got in a lot of fights in high school and college, and it was just, it's, it's just been there. It's, it's part of me. It's, I get it. I tried to, I tried to blow it up, man. I took yeah. a bunch of psychedelics thinking I could purge it out of me or meditate it out of me or cleanse it out of me or raw food diet it out of me. And then I came to just the realization, buddy, it's just there. It's interesting. It's like, you know, there's so many parallels, but there's similarities and differences because I grew up in a very abusive household. And for me, fighting was my, my way to be able to do two things. Number one, get all that anger that I had on my dad out on somebody else. But also the interesting thing and super destruct, destructive, uh, he would be asking me, you got in a fight and sort of be proud of me uh, that I was in a fight. So now I'm trying to get his love uh, by doing that. And it was such a vicious cycle so much anger and stress and all this like fighting and scars. And, you know, I, I was not, I, I did train in, in martial arts when I was a kid up until the time that I discovered that uh, girls are around and I, I want to hook up with girls instead of getting beat up my, by my sensei, uh, walking around with big welts all over my legs. But man, that, that was like the thing. And it was, and it happened where I didn't know how to deal with emotion. And I remember even like, I'm divorced now, but I remember when I first uh, was married and uh, even the affection, even having this uh, connection with yourself and you, you were talking about psychedelics and I just want to like full circle, bring that around. When, when you have this relationship with, you, with yourself, uh, you know, I, I didn't know how to have this emotional relationship with myself. So uh, having an emotional relationship with anybody else may be uncomfortable. And, uh, you know, are we like, related? <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Am I, am I part of the England uh, family? <laughs> 
tree. Right, am I part of the, 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 the May family? <laughs> it might be somewhere, man. We're all related in some way or another. But uh, that's why that's why I'm saying we, there's so many similarities. And why, when psychedelics, in, the, in, in my experience and w- all the work that I did uh, on s- my own psychedelics and research that I did, it actually, you can't really do the psychedelic, get that out of you. What it does, it, it actually enhances it and teaches you, from my experience, on how to use your gift. Like, it's a gift. These things are gifts, and it's how you use those gifts. And I remember you were talking. I, I was like doing some research on you and listening to some of the stuff. And you talked about reframing your story. And I think what an incredible way to be able to communicate that. And that's what psychedelics and, and therapy and all these things have been doing for me. So, like, how do you reframe your story? A uh, fantastic question. Um, <laughs> To touch on what you said about uh, uh, getting the the anger out of you, yes, I had a fantastic childhood, and my dad was an intense, imposing individual. Okay, and he was also proud of the fighting too. He he liked that. Um, and I was in classes for uh, special needs kids, kids that were easily distracted, disorganized, disrupted disruptive and i'm just laughing because i have add and that's the thing that there was discovered in me and they put me all kinds of meds too so uh yeah it's funny same thing the the fighting fighting for me was an express expression of intelligence so okay fine i i cannot compete over here in these election intellectual uh capacities with with kids i mean my sat scores let's not laugh at you know quite yet and i can do this so that's um i just i wanted to share that since we're sharing yeah. so uh mindset building belief systems reframing stories mm-hmm. we'll just we'll talk about it from mindset yeah. mindset is a com- is a is a conversation fantastic conversation to have and it's usually kept on a macro level got to build up this mindset you want to build this you know be this and 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 you know the tough and get get through things and and you know, uh, excel, rise to the occasion. And, and when the conversation is only kept at that macro level, or let me say it another way, when we add in the part of the conversation about what words to use less of and why, and what words to use more of and why, then mindset becomes practical, as in I can practice thinking and speaking and writing in a certain way that's going to keep me focused on the things that are important to me, keep the drama down, and help me build myself up internally as far as my self-image and my, my feelings and emotions about myself. And, and a lot of that, folks, is an inside job. And when it's not done internally, as in us doing that for ourselves, we go out seeking that in a variety of different ways. Um, hello, codependency. So I, I, I fell in, <laughs> I've fallen in love twice on site. One of them was the first time I went to a jujitsu class and got choked. Oh my God. Like I, like I said, I wrestled in high school. That's, that was fine. I pin you, you pin me. Jujitsu, on the other hand, the first time I got choked, I was like, oh my God, this is the coolest thing in the world. I have to learn it. And I did. To okay degree, uh, and then and then the second time I fell in love on first sight was with story work in two thousand and three. So here's the answer to your question: a specific part of the answer. Mm-hmm. A lot of this, a lot of this podcast is is the answer or answers to that question. Mm-hmm. So I, I was living in Bangkok 
and I was wrecked. And uh, my vice principal, he came back from an island, Koh Samui, Gulf of Thailand. And he had gone down there and done a, a cleanse. He went down there and paid to not eat for seven days. Great gig. And he goes, you'd really enjoy it. And I thought, that's actually my kind of weird. I'll go try that. And I went down there and I came back feeling a little bit better. I said, you know what? I'm going back. The, it was either the second or third time I was down there. I went to an emotional detoxification seminar. What's this about? And a man by the name of Barry Musgrave was running it. He ended up being my first mentor in this work. And he guess what he talked about? Newsflash, words and stories and identity. Mm-hmm. And then he asked the crowd, he said, is, is there anyone who's stuck on a story? And this woman just raised her hand. You could see it in her face. He goes, what happened? And it, it was, it was a legit stinger of a breakup. Mm-hmm. So her and all her friends got a house down at the beach for beach week. Her boyfriend and all his friends got a house down at the beach for beach week. And guess what happens down at beach week? Drinking and chaos. And one night he hooked up in, in, with her best friend in front of all her friends. And the next night dumped her in front of everybody. Uh, and, and yeah, every, we can all say ouch on three. And four years later, she's still hung up about it. Hasn't gotten in a, in a relationship yet because of that and was taking it super personally. And here's why. So he had her go through that story the first time at and it took about two minutes to tell. And the whole way through, she's angry and crying. Great. He tinkered with some of the words, changed some words, and had her tell the story again. And now she's sad. Mm. No tears. Interesting. Everybody's leaning in. The third time through, when he got to the sentence that was forcing her mm. to take it personally and create that victim villain dynamic in her mind and entrench that victim mentality was this sentence. He did that to me. Mm. Look at the words, folks. This is simple math. Two plus two equals four for me, for Einstein, for all of y'all. He did that to me. That sentence forces her to make a picture with him in it and her in it. And he's doing something to her. She's the recipient. Hello, stress response. Hello, I'm a victim. Mm. And he had to repeat it a couple of times. And he said, at the end, take out me and put in himself. Hmm. And she said, and she said it like a question. It went up at the end because she had, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was, a, it was big news for, it was, it was very different of an idea, way right. of framing the, 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 the scenario. Mm-hmm. He, he did that to himself and then it hit her. He did, and you could see, you could hear it in her voice, her talking herself into this new story about what happened, and then in turn of herself. He he did that to him. He did. He did do that to himself. Because then, just like a pair of binoculars, folks, our language is a pair of binoculars. Mm-hmm. It's you, you go like this, and you're tired of this picture, and you you, you change the lens. It goes brings one out, puts one up front, mm-hmm. and and then and then she went from there to yeah. I mean, he got so much flack from. Because they were all in the same scene, he, he, his social credit tanked, right. and then she goes, "Well, you know, it wasn't going to work out anyway. He was kind of weird." <laughs> hello, freedom. Yeah. Hello, yeah. hello. Sigh of relief, of pressure. She start her breathing was trapped in her chest. 
which is a very important part of this conversation. Most people are walking around with their breathing trapped in their chest. Right. And their language is because their language, you've got a glitch in the language, man. The language is keeping them in a stress response, a sympathetic nervous system response. Mm-hmm. And well, to get more technical, when someone is in that stress state, they're mm-hmm. in something called amygdala hijack, which decreases their ability to listen. It robs them of their peripheral creative skills, and it fixates, fixates them on something. And until mm-hmm. that breath is changed, either the language changes or the way we, the, 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 what we inflect, the words we inflect on, the rate mm-hmm. of speech, the breath, if we keep telling the same story in the same way, we're getting the same thing whether you like it or not. And I said, that's not my story, but that's my story. Mm-hmm. And I, it, I, it's been on since. Yeah, it's, it's so fascinating. And you also change your neurochemistry because as you uh, create, you know, these different, uh, using these different words, mindset, you excrete different chemicals. Uh, you know, one is a cortisol, but then now you have ser- serotonin. So it definitely changes the, the way you feel by your neurochemistry. Uh, the one thing that I'm curious about is s- sustained action. Right. So one of the things I think you talk about it, you know, change your mindset is, uh, is definitely, you can use words to change your mindset, et cetera. And, uh, you know, some people do that and they don't, they don't take action. And then also they can take action in, in, a, in an event. So you would go to a Tony Robbins event. I'll use that. Everybody knows Tony Robbins. I've been to a bunch of them and everything is rah-rah. It's an amazing experience to be with thousands of people that are vibrating at your frequency and you're pumping each other up. Then you're gone and you read the notes and you're like, I'm going to continue this. And one week goes by and I'm good. And the next week goes by and you do a little bit less. And then you kind of stop and, and then you go to another event. And it's good for Tony Robinson's business because he keeps <laughs> getting you back doing the same thing. Uh, but how do, you, how do you reframe, take action, and then sustain that action? Very good question. So- I've been to a Tony Robbins event. I went to a UPW, which is his, his four-day event. Um, and it is exactly what is it is. It is exactly how it's advertised. It's extremely high by and you leave full. Now, here's the thing. Uh, that, that event would be the equivalent of a weekend of eating very, very healthy or uh, getting a couple good workouts in at the gym over the weekend. Those workouts that you do um, in the first weekend of, of, of April, how much influence are they going to have in September? Mm-hmm. If that's all you do, it has to be sustained. What do I mean by it? The story of you succeeding, the story of you being good enough to get better at something, being good enough to make the next move. That's, that's the difference between, uh, you know, yeah, I had a couple of organic salads three months ago and, and, and eating clean, eating healthy for, you know, a couple of years. And like I said, it's a skill. Most people do not know the specific words to use less of. That's exactly what we teach. We teach that and we teach what words to use more of and why. And I will give us some credit. We've done a very good job, Len of demystifying the conversation about mm-hmm. our words and our stories and our identities and gamifying it. We've made it fun. And it turns out people like to do things that are fun and simple. Right. Yeah. Newsflash. 
I've got is examples. That, so I've got examples of this. That that we, can, we can get into procabulary. Pro is my pronouncing right? Uh, I think I read that's that's one of the. Is that is that what it's called? What you Correct. Okay. Um, that is my business partner and I. So I've been doing this full time the whole time for fourteen years. Mm-hmm. My business partner and I. Uh, we shook hands in 2014, and we created a brand for the general audience of, about language and stories called Procabulary. Okay. And um, uh, this is this is a, I'll, I'll make it a quick because it it is it's relevant. And there's I could make it a long juicy story. I'll make a short juicy story. 2016, I reach out to five friends in the CrossFit space. I say, who's got the best podcast in CrossFit? Because mm-hmm. I got something to say to that community. I've been hanging out in some CrossFit gyms, and I, I just liked everything about it. And they all came back, and they said barbell shrug, mm-hmm. barbell shrug. And one of them, so two athletes and three box owners, one of the athletes circled back and said, by the way, Mike Bledsoe, one of the, the, the hosts, mm-hmm. is aware of your work. Would you like an introduction? I said, damn right, I'd like an introduction. And the reason that I reached out to go on the uh the uh, find find the podcast and mm-hmm. it was it was one of those things where you just throw a dart in the dark not even sure the direction kind of the direct and you hit a bullseye for it we got so lucky because so many people wanted to go on that show it was mm-hmm. the show in the space at the time mm-hmm. and the reason i reached out is because our language like i've previously mentioned it um if we use it in in certain ways, it traps our breathing. And if we use it in other ways, it liberates our breathing. And mm-hmm. breathing is kind of important when you're, you're uh, working out and, um, and, and, and doing physically stressful. It's, it's important in everything. I mean, yeah, I was going to oh, say, breathing is probably important to live. Yeah. <laughs> completely just go on a date folks and hold your breath get all stressed out about something and hold your breath and see how the date goes okay <laughs> or, or go give a, a, a presentation a public talk um and, and and hold your breath while you're up there watch what happens right. you're not going to have fun and <laughs> the, the vibe is going to permeate throughout the crowd right Hey, speaking of breath, uh, just a curiosity. Uh, I, I read this book, uh, Breathe, and uh, it talks about nasal breathing versus uh, mouth breathing. What's your take on that? Well, it depends. Um, so uh, uh, most of the time, I mean, we, we have a, 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 we talk about mouth breathers for a, for a, for a reason. Um, uh, most of the time you want to breathe through your nose. Now, this is not my area of specialty talking about the, the physiology and neurochemistry of, of, of breath, of breathing. Mm -hmm. Um, what I do know is that you want to get your breath and keep your breath low and slow. Get it down in your abdomen and keep it there because we're designed to thrive in parasympathetic nervous system response, also known as, as, as rest and digest. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are times in life, like if you get in a fight or you know, go into the gym or uh, that, you know, historically speaking, you got to fend off the saber-toothed tiger. Who came up with that? And <laughs> so we upregulate, yeah. get the job done, and then, and then get out as soon as possible. 
Yeah, uh, it makes sense. You, I kind of interrupted your story with the uh, with the podcast, but is that when you made a decision to combine language with uh, physical performance? Is that the is that how it started? Good question. That was I. I all I knew is I wanted to go on a, a good podcast um, and and see what happened. Um, it happened naturally. So this also dovetails back into a, a conversation. What you what you asked earlier about vocabulary. So we mm-hmm. did a uh, we did a uh, the the main brand was vocabulary, and when we went into the fitness space, because when that that podcast dropped, we got introduced to the fitness space through the very best um, uh, channel that there was. And myself and Mike Bledsoe became good friends, the, 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 uh, one of the co-hosts. Right. And we, there was something there, so we followed the, we followed the breadcrumbs. What mm-hmm. do I mean? We took the IP, the, the language technology, and created a online course for the fitness industry. Hmm. And we called that Enlifted. Got it. And that has since taken off. So we run certifications. We certify coaches in how to dismantle people's victim mentalities using everyday ordinary language. Hmm. And um, we do a damn good job of it. And I'm the happiest guy in the world, buddy. Because like I said, I'm a teacher at heart. And I get to teach something that profoundly and permanently changed the story that I tell myself about myself to the world. Yeah. It, 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 it's, it's the best of both worlds for me. And, and we're phasing out, and whether this is interesting or not, well, it is because you're a businessman, I'm assuming, um, entrepreneur. We're, we're phasing out vocabulary and just going straight and lifted. Partly because it's easier to say. You know how many people that have been like procrabulary? It's That's, that was my thing. syllables. I know it's five syllables. It's it's a cool word, yeah. and it gets people thinking. And it's 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 a little bit of a tongue twister. And lifted is cake compared to that to say. Yeah, for a hundred percent. I'm just curious in stories. I mean, you said you have some stories to tell, like in in coaching in general. Uh, how do you like? I, I don't want to use this as a, as an opportunity for you to get free coaching or anything of, of that. But just as an example, uh, how would you coach me? Would you do an assessment first, and how does that work so somebody can the audience can understand like sort of how the process works? Oh, that's that's a great question. And we are uh, one of our calling cards is that we're open source with mm-hmm. our with our technology. I'm I am firmly in the camp of here's our best stuff, mm-hmm. use it. And it's not it's not it's, it's like I said it's not rocket science. So if someone booked in for I don't do any one on one coaching anymore. I certify the coaches. If someone booked in with uh, with one of our coaches, they would get a Google document with intake questions okay. on the doc, and they would fill them out. And the uh, before the session. Our coach would get on and assess the, the, the story, the language, look where the pain points are, and mm-hmm. then they would take it from there. Here's, a, here's something that uh, is as reliable as anything you're going to, and when I mean you, I mean you in general, right. that your audience is going to come in contact with when it comes to personal and professional development. Bet the farm that 
your clients have not written stories down of Mm. woe. It is so rare that someone has taken a pen and written out conversationally, and this is very different than Mm. journaling about something. Oh, I journaled about how I feel about what happened back then. No, take you you get a specific memory like the the memory of the divorce, Mm. and you title it the specific moment. And 50% of the time, like I've said, I've been doing this a long time, 50% of the time, the most poignant moment in that story is when the children are told. They're sat down and they're told, and half the time, more than half, that happens in the kitchen. So let's say someone's having um, fear of rejection issues in their life. We get them talking about it. They're an adult, and the feelings, the fears come up. Those feelings and fears are are clues. Excellent. You want to, uh, and, and then you ask them some questions. When was the first time you felt that? Oh my gosh, that reminds me of when my parents got it. Great. Mm. You take the pen, even if it weighs 800 pounds, seemingly, and you title that story and you write it out conversationally. Let's say there's two paragraphs to it. So most there's a huge difference, Len, Mm. between the navigability of a story that's kept in your head, even for good talk therapy, versus a story that is on paper. When a story is kept in your head, it's it here's how it runs. It seems infinite. Where does it start? Where does it stop? Oh my God. Uh, there's the worst part. Ouch! St- lock, lock up. What do I do with that? Mm-hmm. When a story is externalized, now you and your client are staring at the same words. There's no conjecture. There's a beginning. It's it's finite now. There's a beginning and there's an end. Mm-hmm. That's the first part. There's four <laughs> four steps to this this process. First things first. Title a specific event, and people can access them quite easily. Turns out with the right questions. And write it out conversationally. Second thing, read what you wrote, regular speed. Third thing, and there's going to be emotional responses. Great. Let that happen. Third thing, same story, same words. Slow down your rate of speech by 30%. What happens? It's a pattern interruption. What happens when someone slows down their rate of speech? When someone slows down their rate of speech, the breath starts to descend, starts to go into their abdomen. When the breath descends, the feels comes up. That's good. The feeling is the glue that holds the meaning that we assigned the event in place. What do I mean by that? So it's rarely the story that gets us. It's usually the meaning that we assign the story. So it's not so much the divorce that gets us, it's the, it's the meaning that, that what, what does that mean about us? It means, um, you know, if I was a better son or a better daughter, I could have held the family together, even though I was seven. No, you weren't. That was not going to happen. Or I'm the man of the family. Now I've got to take on all the responsibility and my mother's uh, emotional grief. Have fun with that. And then those things get locked in place and we move into our adult life and play it out. History doesn't repeat itself. It rhymes. And then the fourth process, fourth step, which is a kicker, is where you read what you wrote and get a breath in, a big breath in at each period. Mm. Okay. So, and what that does, when the breath is trapped in the chest, the picture, the memory is stuck in your face. Mm. When the breathing descends, the picture moves out. Mm. Breath in the breath in the chest, it's it's right there. It's personal. Breath out here down here, picture moves out. Now it's now I've got some distance. I've got some breathing room. So step four, this is what it could look like. This is what it could sound like. 
my ma- my mother and my father brought m- myself and my little sister into the kitchen. We didn't know what was going on. My dad said we were getting they were getting a divorce and he was leaving. And that we were going to live with my mother. My little sister was crying. And I thought if they loved us, they would be able to keep the, keep the family together. And here's my promise. If you tell your stories different, you're getting something different. By, by getting it on paper and reading it and going through a process of down-regulation, I've used that process right there on everything from simple procrastination to war crimes and torture and a bunch of gnarly stuff in between because mm-hmm. it works on the mechanics of storytelling. It's not about the why. The why is overcooked. You know, there's a difference. We're about the how, dude. How are you telling this, yourself the story that nothing will ever work out for you? Great. Let's tell it different. Let's get the breath in there. See what happens. Do something different. Get something different. Rocket science. Yeah, it's interesting that you said uh, you're about the how, not the why, because we're in, in the why culture, right? <clears throat> so Simon Sinek and all those guys, the, the why guys, and you have to have a big enough why and the how doesn't matter. So you have a, a little bit of a different approach. You're saying that, yeah. So uh, what, you, you feel that it's more of the, the how how you tell the story is that more related to like uh neurolinguistic programming and things that you would uh be able to tell yourself and how you actually uh express uh, the vocabulary that changes the uh you know neuroplasticity or whatever um i i'm in the both category so the why is very important mm-hmm. uh there was a study done by dr robert cialdini he wrote a book called influence the power of persuasion and they did a very interesting study where they went from the back of the line to the front of the line in copy offices in the, the and they would say excuse me can i get in front of you to make some copies they'd get a 66% yes rate then they would add a because which is a why back of the line front of the line excuse me can i get in front of you to make some copies uh because if I get these done now, I can get them to my boss for the meeting. Or if I, because if I get these done now, then I can, I can get out of work early and make it to the soccer practice. So they went from a six, when they added the because, they went from a 66% um, uh, uh, yes rate to a 94% yes rate. Hmm. Then it got funny. They went from the back of the line to the front of the line and said, excuse me, can I get in front of you to make some copies? Because I need to make some copies. of the time they got a yes. The why is important. So so when you add a because on the end of a statement, you're going to get 33% more buy-in from yourself uh, and and your client. So the the why is very important. The how is also very important. You know, um, saying I want to go to Italy, super, super, super bad. I have no idea how I'm going to get there. That so so the and to reference neuro-linguistic programming. Mm-hmm. Um, which is one of the the older language modeling systems. Mm-hmm. So that is that is a 
and I got my uh, practitioner and then master practitioner with with Richard Bandler in mm. London uh, about ten years ago. So I, I I know it. I get it. Mm. I know I know enough of it. It's it is the it is their interpretation of how to change your mind. Mm. Okay, there are a variety of interpretations to how to change your mind. Um, so it's really so it's it's not like is this NLP? It's really NLP is looking at the storytelling process, and they're distilling their own approach to it. Um, nonviolent communication is another really good one. Hmm. Um, conscious language is another really good one. Landmark is huge on playing the language game. Hmm. We're in that conversation too. Very much not as well known as those those people. For now, and you know, we're uh, we have aspirations. Yeah, I, I, I definitely, you know, all these labels, uh, NLP, whatever it is, I, it it all has sort of the same kind of thought to me. Uh, you have your anchoring type of uh, statements. That, you know, you you tell this story yourself, and then you have an anchor, and something happens in your life, and it triggers that, and you you're you're always going to be triggered if you don't address the anchor first. And a lot of people work on. You know, how can we uh, dissolve your triggers? Well, I mean, that's that's great, but really look at the root cause of what is weighing you down and address that because you're always, you'll find another trigger if you're looking for it, uh, if you're not addressing uh, the root cause of, you know, why, uh, maybe not why, but how, what happened in the, in the actual instance where you have this uh, sort of thing that this weight that's holding you down in a way. So, yeah. For sure. Absolutely. And um, we're, we're known, Len, as the language people. Mm. Uh, and gun to head, it's about the breath. Mm. It's about the breathing. Ladies and gentlemen, there are so many different uh, method, modalities for improving how you breathe. If you improve how you breathe, you're going to change what you see. If you improve how you breathe, you're going to change how you sound. Guess what? Yeah. We're making sounds right now. We're making sounds. So it's language. It's a combination of language and breathing as, as far as speaking is concerned. Um, and, and, you know, my business partner has got his way of describing, you know, our mission. One way I, I really like the mental imagery that this creates. You know, I'm, I'm here to unlock the breath of humanity, man. You know, what oh, a great thing that. to wake up for. Yeah, that that's a big why. It's a that yeah, it's a huge why. You know, our our my favorite quote from Ann Rand is evil requires the sanction of a victim. Mm. We're we're here to unlock the breath of humanity and dismantle the victim mentality of individuals, families, communities, and 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 beyond. You know, the the uh I might be the person that has recited the definition of the victim mentality more than anyone else on the planet. The definition of the victim mentality, I'm going to take a little out of the middle. It is an acquired personality trait where a person tends to regard himself or herself as the victim of the negative actions of others, even in the absence of clear evidence. The victim mentality depends on a habitual thought process and attributions. That second sentence is right between the eyes, right where it belongs. Wow. The victim mentality depends. It has to have a habitual thought process and uh there's a subset of the english language that forces people to create victim centricities in their identity whether they like it or not 
it's so interesting. It, it, like just habits alone and like uh are are there specific things that you suggest to help people form good habits so they can sustain that? Two thousand percent. I get asked that a lot and I'm glad I get asked that a lot. I've got two answers. One is a, we've already touched on it. One's a macro answer and one's a, 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 a micro answer. The macro answer is slow down your rate of speech by about 20% when you're having a conversation with someone and watch what happens. You're going to sound different. Okay. Your timing is going to be better. You're going to be a better listener, which is a major component of being a good conversationalist. And um, you also have more mental real estate to connect the dots between how your words are influencing you and the person that you speak with. Um, that's, that's one answer. And then the second answer is soft talk. Mm-hmm. So what's soft talk? <laughs> uh, p- p- play a game with me here, Len. It's pretty easy. Do it. <laughs> Give me a goal for, t- for you for 2022. What a goal that you got. Uh, to complete our funding round and uh, expand globally. Perfect. So put a, um, say that again and put a maybe in there somewhere. To complete our funding round and maybe expand globally. I already know what you're going to say, buddy. And forgive me for <laughs> interfering with a goal. And I, 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 yeah. What did that do to the energy? Uh, I mean, it's, I'm, I'm already doubting myself as I'm, as I'm speaking it. So yeah, it's definitely uh, not as affirmative as the first one was. 100% folks, a majority, here's another one of my promises, a majority of your self-doubt Okay, your indecision is coming from just a handful of words, soft yeah. talk keywords. What are they? Here, here, here. If you have a pen, here's the soft talk challenge. This will work. Mm. If you have a pen, get a piece of paper, a clean sheet of paper, and write these words down. I'm about to rattle them off five times larger than you normally write. What's that going to do? That's going to engage something called the reticular activating system. It's going to go, why am I writing these words five times? Oh, it doesn't matter. Just pay more attention to them. Great. So you'll start, you'll raise your, and you'll start hearing them in your language. You'll start seeing them in your texts. You'll hear them in other people's language. First keyword, we already did it. Maybe. Second keyword, think. Guess. Probably. I'm probably procrastinating. Possibly. One day. Be a, be a two-day person, not a one-day person. Hopefully. Try. Almost like. It's almost like I'm drinking too much coffee. No, you are. Take it out and own it. Those key words. If you take out half of your soft talk keywords, you're going to feel so much different and so much better. Uh, Warning, though, uh, unless you like feeling confident, 
if you don't like feeling confident and decisive and being able to move forward, then do, pay no attention to what I just said. <laughs> I mean, let's, it's so, I just hear this in meetings all day long. And I hear from people that I work with, <clears throat> and I'm always, not if, when. And, it, and it's like, it's such, it, these words are used so often by people, they don't really realize that they're putting out the energy of being unsure. And when you're sitting on the other end and you're pitching you know, people for funding and all that stuff, nobody wants to hear, maybe we'll get there, as you were saying, or probably, or hopefully, you really affirm those words. So I'm so glad you shared that with the, with our audience because it's so important on uh, choosing the right words. Um, in terms of how do you feel about affirmations? Love them. Love them. And here's how you, 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 you supercharge them. First mm-hmm. things first, write them down. That's very common in the affirmation conversation. Fantastic. And then you want to practice saying them, of course. And th- If you want to 10X your results from your affirmations, do this. Make the affirmation and take a big breath in, smooth breath out. Say the next affirmation and breathe. Here's why. Most people do not have any words written down that would benefit how they think and feel about themselves, known as affirmations. Once they hit paper, Great, you're in a, a unique club. When you practice saying them, if someone is practicing affirmations and their breath is trapped in their chest, which is quite common for 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 people when they're because it's it's a mixed bag. Party of believes, party of doubts. Mm-hmm. The party that's doubt is is stressful. If your breath is trapped in your chest when you're repeating your affirmations, it's just a head job. Mm-hmm. If you get the breath in between each one. There's three ways to describe what happens. It's known as socializing an idea, mm-hmm. taking a concept to heart, or embodying the concept. It, it gets in there and it enlivens the thing. It gives you time and space for it to land. You want your whole body on board with the thing. Uh, when you said head job, I thought you were talking about something else. So I'm glad you, I'm glad you cleared that up. Glad I, glad I clarified. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. So, so I, I heard you uh, talk about CBD uh, what is your take on plant medicine? Uh, thank goodness that it's becoming mainstream. You know, the endocannabinoid system is is very real. We've we've evolved with these plants and these medicines, and they provide real relief from people that are suffering from PTSD and 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 other sorts of of stress. You know, we're 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 great at creating and accumulating stress in in our society we're horrible at uh and this is a general blanket statement horrible at getting rid of it partly because we've been domesticated we've domesticated ourselves to a very real degree so you see one of these little chihuahuas that it's got you know it's got a one snaggle tooth and three hairs and it's just shaking all year long that thing was a wolf 2000 years ago same thing with us we were much like, like this one robo- <laughs> Like that one. That was a wolf. <laughs> 2,000 years ago, that thing was a wolf. We were so much more robust 5,000, 2,000 years ago as human beings, much more durable, much more in shape. And uh, you know, we, generally speaking, we lead – that was cool, by the way. <laughs> the, uh, much more sedentary I was lives. prepared for that prop. I had it – I was waiting for it, <laughs> the Chihuahua reference. That was uh, – yeah, that was a very high level. Uh, <laughs> 
you know, we live sedentary lives. We don't walk as much as we used to. God knows what's in our food. And people are hip to that. Some people are hip to that, like yourself, you know, with, with what you do uh, with, with, with cannabis. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, some people find extraordinary relief. I mean, just look at the work that MAPS is doing. The, you know, the psilocybin and MDMA ceremonies professionally administered. That's mm-hmm. getting legalized. I was out in Denver uh, a year ago, and they had billboards for it. Yeah. What? Yeah, that's, that's what I was going to ask you about psychotropics. Is my next one, but so I kind of you talked, you touched on it. But yeah, I I really think that you know what, when you look at all these different plants and what it does to our uh, neurochemistry. I mean, that's the whole reason why we even have a pharmaceutical industry is because we found plants, we consume those plants in some way. And we had a response, a neurochemical response. And the pharmaceutical industry was like, okay, let's see if we can synthesize that, put it in a lab, and make it a one-size-fits-all for everyone across the board. And by the way, if they have an adverse event of some sort, so there's a side effect, we'll take care of that too with another one. And just perpetual kind of building on different pills instead of saying, cannabis, it's interesting. How many components? maybe somewhere over 400 different ones. So I can't just take the one. Let's see how they all work together uh, with individuals. And psychedelics and psychotropies are the same way. I mean, you know, you're looking at DMT and, you know, by having it inside of our body, what is it, what is it really doing? And what does it mean when you consume uh, DMT and you start seeing the little, little creatures or you start seeing the geometric shapes? What is the meaning of that? So it, it allows you to question. But my concern in this whole thing, and I, I'm not a big fan of anything that's recreational. I think everything should be adult use. You're 21 and over or whatever the age limit is, 18, I don't know, for different states or countries. You should have the freedom to put in your body what you want to put in your body. The, the challenge is when you start getting to a certain point and you have to, you have a journey of some sorts, but you don't have anybody there to explain to you what that is or to guide you through that. Now you have a lot of confusion and then maybe some people will have some adverse effects. So I, I believe that this decriminalization and legalization of these substances will allow us to guide people and, and, and really learn what the hell is it going on? What's what, you know, what they're doing in our bodies. Uh, so hopefully that'll, it'll, that trend will continue. Thousand percent, folks. You want a second opinion on reality? Go take some psychedelics. <laughs> for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, I have a couple more questions given time, but I'm just curious. What was your first experience with cannabis? Smoking it at Zach Reed's party out of a, a, a Coke can. <laughs> we, we, we caved in and typed tapped the holes in there and had a carb on the side and we drank a few beers and things got different. I liked it. There were some girls around. It was a good, it was a good initial. Yeah. Um, Being a music guy, uh, I'm a music guy. What do you remember? What was the first uh, uh, concert you attended? Allman brothers band. My, my, my freshman year, we went, uh, went in my buddy's Jeep. I'm a Southern rock guy. I'm from the South. I understand. I love the Allman Brothers. Um, do you remember what was the first album you bought? Led Zeppelin Four. So trendy. No way. That was my first album. I actually, We're related. We're related. Dude, I am telling you, this is the first album I ever bought. I still have it. Led Buddy. Zeppelin Four. That is incredible. 
You're the first guy on my podcast to actually say that. That's pretty cool. All right. Uh, what has cannabis meant in your life? It's, it's meant, um, it definitely, I, I smoked a lot of it when I was training in martial arts. It helped me focus. Mm-hmm. And it also was very uh, communal. Yeah. It's something that I still enjoy about it. It's, you know, you get around and, you know, buddies come over and, you know, you roll one up and, and connect. Yeah. I think it's missing a little bit with, with COVID. I think that's missing. I see a lot of people holding their own joints and like uh, not passing it around. Okay. Uh, last question. Uh, Please describe what your room looked like growing up. Had a had a game, had a TV in there, Nintendo, double bed, blue carpet, really navy blue carpet, weird navy blue carpet. No, no posters in the walls, nothing uh, like that. No, no, no Bruce Lee or uh, you know Heather Locklear or anything. Like that. No, no, no. I, I, my, I was brought up Southern Baptist and I wasn't allowed to skateboard because it was the devil's work. (laughs) Yeah. That's interesting. All right, cool. Uh, Mark, where can people learn more about you? uh, Find out about all the wonderful work that you're doing, find your own social everywhere else. Thank you, Len. Mark England, 2057 on IG. I turned that, that account into a a free language training school. It's 80%, uh, language posts and, and 20% uh, uh, entertainment. And then, then any of you coaches out there, you want to learn a platinum coaching system, get a damn good piece of work done on your, your own personal story, wipe the floor of that imposter syndrome, go to enlifted.me. There you go. Awesome, man. Hey, brother, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. This was great. And uh, looking forward to connecting in the future. Len, thank you. Next time I'm out in LA, I'm I'm I'm, I'm hitting you up, buddy. We're gonna have brother. We're Let's related. Do Let's do it for sure, for sure. All right, thanks, brother. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, I'm Gary, and I invite you to discover the Cannabis Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast focused on a Canadian's cannabis culture. I would be the Canadian, and my cannabis passion and culture has been building for five decades. I share that passion for this wonderful plant in every episode, through conversations with cannabis advocates and enthusiasts, stories about the ever-changing legal environment, and some hands-on testing of product in a segment I call Cultivar Corner. The Cannabis Podcast, a Canadian's cannabis culture, one toke at a time.